Hello and welcome to The Energy Trilemma, a podcast brought to you by BP. I'm Linda Yu, and throughout the series, I'll be speaking to some of the leading figures on the front line of the trilemma, industry experts and global CEOs who are looking to meet the challenge of energy that's reliable, affordable, and low carbon. To discuss what's being done to decarbonize building projects today and for the future are my two guests, Benoit Bazan, the CEO of Saint-Gobain, the worldwide leader in light and sustainable construction, and Janet Greenwood, a director in KPMG's major projects advisory team. Janet has over 25 years' experience delivering major infrastructure programs. A warm welcome to you both, and thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. Bonjour. Thank you. So, Benoit, I'd like to turn to you first. Saint-Gobain aims to be carbon neutral by 2050. Your roadmap to net zero includes targets for 2030 and reducing emissions directly and along your value chain. So just tell me, how are you doing this? And importantly, how are you measuring your progress? Well, actually, as a worldwide leader on light and sustainable construction, ESG carbon neutrality is at the core of our business model. You know, we rely on two actions. On one side, maximize the positive impact of our solutions to help our customers decarbonize the buildings. And I would say that our solutions, on average, when they take away carbon from buildings or for industrial applications, we have over their lifetime, we avoid roughly 40 times our own annual footprint. So that's on one side, maximize the impact of our solutions, and of course, on the other side, minimize our own carbon footprint. And I'm happy to say that we measured over the last four years, between 2017 and 2021, a reduction of 23% of our own carbon emission. And for that, we have started very early to set up our own internal carbon price in 2016. So for the last six years, we have been using a carbon price for investment, and also for research and development projects. And we commit every year around 100 million euros of investment, both for capital expenditures and R&D projects to move on on our carbon neutrality. That is really encouraging to hear. But Benoit, can I just ask you about the current challenges? Will this affect your targets? In the very short term, we could see a bit of disruption. But I think very quickly in the midterm, we will all understand the perfect constraint, but perfect alignment between carbon neutrality on climate change, decarbonizing the buildings that make 40% of the emissions, also the purchasing power of households. When you save energy in a building, you always say the best energy is the energy you don't spend. And third, sovereignty, independence on energy from fossil oil coming from abroad. So yes, you could say Times are critical, but very often humankind is actually quite strong and quite creative when you are facing such large challenges. So we are a multi-local player. Situation will vary country by country. We are in 75 countries, but I'm optimistic that every single country has to work on energy efficiency, has to move fast on green energy, etc., etc. So I'm on the optimistic side, willing to engage a lot of actions. Janet, are you on that um, optimistic side? I mean, just thinking about these current challenges in terms of energy, could it slow down progress or 
Could it deliver a win-win-win solution for climate change, energy security, and importantly, affordability? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's worth just taking a moment to sort of zoom out. The United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change recently uh, produced their third report, the mitigation report. And what that basically says is that we have to, if we want to stay under the one and a half degree um, goal, reduce our carbon emissions globally by seven or eight percent every year starting now. And that's equivalent to the 2020 lockdowns. So if you imagine doing that this year and again next year and then again and again, and that's the scale of the challenge that we're facing. And for construction, we've historically been highly energy intensive. We use a lot of fuel and we use energy intensive materials. Steel is responsible for about 8% of global carbon dioxide emissions. And around half of the steel produced globally is used by building and infrastructure. Cement is also a source of about 8% of the world's carbon dioxide emissions. And there's a lot of research going on into uh, carbon neutral and carbon uh, reducing cement. So construction has already been looking at ways to decarbonise, to use less material, use low carbon materials and follow circular principles. And if anything, I would say the imperative is heightened by the current situation. I would just add that construction is one phase of the life cycle of a built environment asset and infrastructure is uh, accounts for a great deal of emissions. Surface transport accounts for 22% of emissions and buildings 17%. So we have to think of the whole life of an asset, how we use it and think into the impact on how we live as a society. Benoit, that actually is a point that I was going to ask you about as well, which is how can Saint-Gobain use its scale and global influence to create a broader positive change in your supply chain uh, and not just in your own emissions? Well, indeed, we we need uh, strong signals towards all the players on the value chain. The, The chance we have in construction is that to some extent the solutions do exist, technically speaking. The challenge is more to engage, embark, and get moving on the large fragmented value chain. So we need uh, clearly to set up targets. We do that for the scope three of ourselves towards our suppliers. We need to engage uh, more collaboration throughout all the value chain in terms of partnership with our customers, with our suppliers. And we need, as Janet said, to move towards a full life cycle analysis across the, the value chain and integrate into that circular economy, clearly, how to construct, but also deconstruct a building and use digital data in order to provide transparency on information and disclosure on the impact of the solutions. I think we, we are all eager to move. We clearly need strong signals to engage everyone and we are doing that at Sangvin, setting up targets for ourselves, but also for our partners and selecting the partners, differentiating based on their achievements. It is so important to think not just about your direct emissions, but also that along your supply chain and your value chain. And I think increasingly the reporting on emissions. And I think that leads me nicely to the next point I wanted to post both of you and Janet first. We've heard from both of you about how the construction industry is working to reduce its own emissions. So just say a bit more about how it can help other sectors reduce their emissions. And importantly, can it be done in a way that reduces cost and supports energy security? 
So yes, I think there really is a, a virtuous circle here. And the impact that construction can have, I think, is enormous, both in terms of leading the way and also influencing other sectors. After all, construction creates our built environment. And what we build makes a difference. And it has an impact on society. And we can choose to construct buildings which are low energy to build and run, structures and infrastructure which can be easily built and fixed. We can choose to build a new, more human-centred, healthy and inclusive built environment. But we need to put circularity at the heart of that. And circularity has such a huge impact. In 2020, human-made materials outweighed biomass for the first time, accounting for an average of 30 billion tonnes of material every year. And if we continue, those materials will triple the weight of living biomass by 2040. So clearly, construction has a huge role to play. And I think if we can embrace these challenges, then we can really lead the way for other sectors and industries. Benoit, same question to you. Just say a bit more about how the construction industry can help other sectors reduce their emissions. And can it be done in a way that reduces costs and supports energy security? Yes, I I truly think so. And... uh, and, and clearly, you know, we have seen some uh, some progress. I think, you know, what, what needs to be done is to also send signals, for instance, on uh, investment for green energy. We need clearly to get access to green energy and governments can uh, support from that. Uh, and, uh, and we need uh, signals there. The question is getting organized, getting organized up front when you conceive a building using digital across all the value chain, using also transport, logistics, asking all that to be good on scope three for the planet. So clearly the main challenge for the construction markets and industry is to get organized all together upfront versus the activity. So that's where we can make a difference. And if I can just jump in there, Linda, I would absolutely uh, endorse what Benoit was saying there. It's a huge challenge for um, all sectors and industries, but particularly so for construction. And gathering that data, again, to echo another of Benoit's points, is one of the big challenges that we have gathering the data from across the supply chain and collating it into usable information and then bringing that into reporting and decision-making. That's one of the big challenges that we face. And it's it's a universal challenge and that digital and data solution it will be at the heart of making really impactful change. Like Janet is saying, I think in our sector, we need to measure the impact using the data to measure the impact of our solutions. And this is the best way to showcase the solution and to convince the head of a school to renovate the school, the head of a hospital, homeowners. So I think the data transparency on the information across all the value chain from suppliers, transporters, and the end users, clearly we need more data to convince and move ahead fast. Janet, can I just get you to um, talk about the approach that's needed to drive decarbonisation at the pace and the scale that's actually required? Sure. And one of the recommendations from the UN IPCC was that we need deep 
rapid and sustained emissions cuts. So that speed is really important. And systems thinking will be at the heart of this and a balanced scorecard. In the past, we focused very much on cost and time and taking a more holistic approach, thinking about the benefits of what we're doing and why we're doing the construction or the infrastructure. These are going to be the lodestones of how we reshape our thinking and how we deliver rapid change. So if I can just elaborate, we historically have thought about nature as something separate or something to be tamed. And we really do now need to be thinking about ourselves as a part of nature, not apart from nature. And having a balanced scorecard that uh, records our impact on society, records our environmental impact, our social um, and the uh, governmental uh, impact is is really going to be central to delivering rapid change. So the systems thinking element, if you think of, uh, for example, a transport intervention, you could uh, simply think, right, we have a full road, we're going to build um, additional road capacity. But that's not really systems thinking. To zoom out and to think about, well, why are people making journeys? Could we move the amenities closer to people? Could we create 15-minute cities? Could we think about demand management, online solutions, active travel, public transport, and only then getting down to new infrastructure and new roads? If you also think about the co-benefits, for example, of cycling, there's a lot of evidence that um, that will bring health benefits, that brings economic benefits to city centres. And retrofitting houses, as uh, Benoit alluded to, that brings health benefits for the people who live in it. Benoit, do you see any common challenges faced by you and by other sectors which are deemed to be, you know, big emitters? I think you need, as a corporation like Saint-Gobain, to be convinced that you are setting the tone and you need to be ahead of the curve. You should not wait for regulations to be lower in Vietnam versus in the US or in Germany. You are a large corporation. We have the same internal carbon price for our research or CapEx projects around the world, whether it's in India or whether it's in Canada. So you need to set the bar, raise the bar for everyone and not wait for the minimum regulation or the minimum push from outside, but set the tone around the world. This is the way you can face your employees and truly engage them because you are setting the standard the same around the world. So I think being consistent on your values where you raise the bar around the world is true for construction, which is a very local business, country by country. You could say, I have different answers. No, we have the same within Sangaba. And I guess other sectors, mobility, other industrial sectors should behave the same. There's clearly lots of progress and innovation being made within the sector. Can I ask you about the support the construction sector might need um, in its journey to net zero? So in other words, is there more that governments can do to support the sector? Well, the answer is yes. I think government should truly accelerate in terms of investment towards carbon neutrality in buildings. You know, if we want to decarbonize, 120 countries committed themselves to reach carbon neutrality by 2050. None of them will get there without working hard on on buildings. The first point I would mention is we need access to green energy, whether it's green electricity, all kinds of green energy, green hydrogen. There is a lot of investment to be made and governments can help and must accelerate 
to ensure that we get access to renewable energy. The second is, of course, the regulatory framework for buildings themselves. And here, we have to think two ways on renovation. We need to at least double, if not triple, the renovation rate of buildings across Europe. And for that, we need energy saving certificates. We need minimum performance standards. And we need also to move to light frame construction for new builds. When you think of the US, Asia, emerging markets, you need governments to define standards for light frame construction where you can save 50% of the weight of materials and therefore 50% of, of CO2. Two examples in France, for instance. In France, next year, we'll be obliged to take all demolition waste from buildings. That does force circular economy and it forces us to organize ourselves. Same in France, we have a diagnosis of energy performance where you are not going to be allowed to sell, rent a place if it's not above the minimum grade of energy performance. So two you know, basic examples of what can be done. And of course, I would say ultimately that governments have to be exemplary on public buildings. I see too many public buildings, schools, hospitals, uh, sports centers, which are pretty bad in terms of energy performance. So governments, public authorities, municipalities have to set the tone. Janet, same question to you. Where do you see the balance of responsibility falling? Should it be for industry to take proactive steps or do governments need to do more to support major infrastructure projects? So I think the balance falls equally. And actually, I'd reflect on the question with um, should we support major infrastructure projects as a major infrastructure project professional? That may sound like a funny thing for me to say, but actually, is that our goal or is our goal to support a sustainable society? And sometimes that might be through major infrastructure projects. So I think there is an uh, onus on governments and in the UK we've seen a legally binding commitment to net zero by 2050 and 78% reduction by 2035. And that's really impressive. That's driven a lot of change and that's come down through government arm's length bodies such as National Highways and Network Rail who are then cascading those targets down through their supply chains. And that's really to be welcomed. And financial regulation is playing a big part. So we're seeing a lot of pressure around disclosure and regulation. And that, again, is to be welcomed. But I think for individual companies, whilst there are drivers in terms of uh, your clients asking for this or regulators asking for this, there's also your, your customers and your staff. And I would say to those uh, companies, are you waiting for permission? And how much permission do you really need to make your business less wasteful, more efficient, uh, to be able to articulate your impact on society and your customers to your staff and to be able to make decisions on high quality data. A lot of this is just about good business. Nobody wants to waste money or be blindsided by child labour revelations in their supply chain. If you can focus around ESG, use it as a lens and not as a separate silo, you're really in a great place uh, for the future. ESG, environment, social and governance issues certainly at the forefront now in uh, in actually lots of people's minds, not just companies and investors. So if I were to ask you, what is the biggest block to achieving this transition in your sector to a net zero economy? What are you most worried about? I'm worried that the sense of urgency is not shared by everyone. We are truly facing urgency for the climate. So 
that's a question of mindset on one side. And second, you know, in a manufacturing group, we say very often what gets measured gets done. And truly measuring on your products, on your processes, on your logistics, uh, what improvement you want to achieve, having that audited by your third party, for us it's a sign-based target, is extremely important. Putting also incentives for the people, you know, it's annual incentives for the managers of Sangba, it's also long-term incentives linked to ESG that shows how serious we are. And I think you need to align all that mindset, measurement, and a bit of carrot and stick, and therefore maybe also taking a bit of risk. Sometimes I have the impression to be at the head of a startup, a very large startup, where you need to take some risk on new products, on new processes, on biogas, on circular economy. But we need to take a bit of risk because this is what we need to do to save the planet. Janet, same question to you. Well, I think that was a fantastic answer there from Benoit. And I, I would just... Uh, add, I think, that what we see at KPMG is the companies that are internalizing this, that are recognizing that this is a problem, that there are solutions and that action is urgent, they're the ones who are ahead of the game. So I think it is about uh, the mindset point and the belief that change is not only possible, uh, but it is uh, an absolute priority. I'm going to squeeze in one more question uh, to you both and Benoit first. I would just like to ask you how you see the construction sector looking in the future. How will it be different to today? And what is the one most important factor critical to get you to this vision of the future that you're about to articulate to me? We are truly at a tipping point because we are not going to build in the next decades like we used to build for the last centuries a tipping point where we need to build with sustainability, with performance of buildings, and there are many solutions for that. For me, the, the one area is to truly organize a fragmented value chain to work together. So be collaborative, it will reduce the cost, it will provide solutions from suppliers to architects to end customers to contractors. There's a lot to be done. We try as a leader on the full value chain of sustainable construction to set the tone to Janet points, you know, we have a purpose, making the world a better home. And it's for me the single most important item to attract, engage, reward talents. So all our teams are engaged for that. And I did set up for ourselves our race to the moon, which was, and we achieved it a month ago, the first world premiere of net zero carbon manufacturing of flat glass. So we need also to set up some races to the moon to engage the teams, but clearly, acting as a leader to engage the value chain to be collaborative and move fast forward. That's actually probably faster than it took to actually get people onto the moon, <laughs> which was the 1960s. Um, same question to you, Janet, to conclude. Well, I often reflect back that when I was at university, my degree was all about numbers and we never spoke about people. And yet I think the future will be all about the impact on people. We used to have a linear predict and provide model and very output focused. Can you build this thing in concrete? And if you have, then you've succeeded. We need to move to managing demand and thinking about the impact and the benefits of the work that we do. Think about the circular economy and biodiversity net gain. There will be less, less concrete and more nature-based and passive solutions. We have to sweat our assets. We only have about 400 gigatons of CO2 equivalent left to expend before we pass one and a half degrees. How should we spend that, given that we have to become more resilient? 
we'll move towards micro projects, insulation of our existing housing stock. And I think there'll be a big focus on credentialisation of the supply chain and assurance of claims that are being made. But your question was about the one thing, and I think it is that balanced scorecard, that link to the UN SDGs and the link to systems thinking, moving away from cost is everything and into a world of what's your impact. A huge thank you to my guests today, Benoit Bazin, the CEO of Saint-Gobain, and Janet Greenwood, director of KPMG's major projects advisory team for a great conversation. There are lots of takeaways, but the one that really struck me is the need to focus on people, making sure that the buildings and infrastructure we develop today not only support the way people want to live now, but also in the future. I'm Linda Yu, the host of this podcast brought to you by BP. Be sure to follow us and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast so you don't miss a single episode. Thank you for listening.